Welcome to The Pop-In, the adjacent podcast to Flop Stars, where we run through the big new music releases and music stories of the week. Is Doja Cat Scarlet going to be a flop? We'll discuss. Uh, there's new music from Ed Sheeran in one of his least anticipated albums of all time. We want to unpack <laughs> it, along with new stuff for Georgia Smith and Pink Panther S. Plus, NSYNC are back after like 20 years. Is the song good? We'll talk about it soon. And we're getting a Renaissance concert film. We'll start there. Sam you Murphy. said Hi. welcome to the pop-in as if it was like BBC News Radio with breaking news. Yeah. I was trying to <laughs> I was trying to make us sound much more official than it actually is. Well, we are but... official and we're very serious. Where I think we need to yeah. take the mood and make it quite serious on this podcast. Serious journalism only. It's not funny the, the... that Doja Cat and Ed Sheeran are flopping, you know. No, it's a, a crisis level for pop it music. Is, it's a pop uh, sometimes, <laughs> do you sometimes go through, or is it just me because I live alone and get bored sometimes? But I go through like the news websites and look at the words they use to describe everything, and every single article headline has the word like outrage, revealed, um, things like that. Major blow, <laughs> things like that. And I'm just no, like, this is why is we are the way we are. what words ChatGPT uses for everything. Scintillating. <laughs> <laughs> is that because ChatGPT writes all of your TikToks now and has all of your No, it does not. That's the, that's the room. Oh, I've broken the microphone. I've pulled the microphone off the stand. Okay, so fantastic. Today's proceedings. Um, yeah. Oh, God, what have I done here? Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is not That's good. what this you get for trying to bring into question oh. my good standing on the talk. No, you've got acceptable standing on the talk, I would say. No, no. Um, anyway, let's. This has been the loosest introduction to the pop in ever. Um, let's talk about the concert. To, what? What the fuck are you holding now? It's What's a that? Love a bra. Is that Taylor Swift? No, it's not Taylor <laughs> Swift. This is completely. <laughs> Who is? I've Why just been like that? unpacking still our apartment, and I guess this was part you of the wedding. You moved in there in four way. years ago. It was three weeks ago. Similar. I know because we haven't had gas for three weeks, and we get paid seven dollars every day. We don't. <laughs> That's my <laughs> so income right now. Please pay us. Um, Beyonce Renaissance concert film. We are getting this in December, which is going to be fantastic. I feel like falling in love. How do you feel about it? Well, I feel great about it because I never got to see the tour yeah. because the plans got a bit scrambled at the end there. Um, so I feel great about it. And apparently it's mm. going to be mixed with some of the visuals that people have been waiting for. And it's going to be a real kind of like splice of everything that's been going on the past mm. year or so. What's interesting is it's coming at a similar time as the Taylor Swift Eras tour concert. Um, yep. And they're both going straight to cinema, which is a very, like, distinct backflip from what was happening a couple years ago where everything was going to Netflix or Amazon Prime or Binge or, I don't know, Napster yep. or whatever Stan. they're on now. So it's interesting to see people going back to the cinema. And I'm guessing that they're signing these huge deals with, like, some of the theatre chains here and in Australia as well. Also, what's interesting is it seems to be coming mid-tour. I know Taylor Swift's still got Australia to go. Beyonce yep. reportedly has South America to go. So it kind of feels yep. like a bit of a spoiler alert. 
Well, this has been my question, and we've discussed this a little bit in the past, but not in terms of the cinematic release, but in terms of the TikToks and the reels of these concerts and the kind of spoiler alert that they provide. And mm. you discussed that for you when you saw the, the Eras Tour in Mexico City, that it didn't ruin the experience at all. In fact, it, it, it enhanced it. You knew when to go go to the bathroom. You still were excited yeah, about glad. those. Yeah, it's training. Yeah, and you were excited about those bonus songs that you would get. And I, I, I don't know whether the cinematic experience is going to be the same thing, though. Do you think it will take away from the, the live experience, having seen the show now? Do you think that for people who haven't seen the show, getting to see it in a, in a two-hour format in a cinema with perfect surround sound, you know, beautifully shot, will that take away from the experience in a different way than the, the TikToks and Reels did? I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just a different experience, you know? Like, nothing's going to beat that, that like, f- energy of being live in the flesh. But at yeah. the same time, the Beehive and the Swifties are crazy and they're going to bring a certain energy to the cinema. And I much prefer the idea of having that experience than watching it on Netflix, you know? Because mm. I know, like, we were both at home coming the Coachella show for Beyonce. And yep. I've never really been able to get through the film because it just doesn't match the energy of, like, what we saw live in the flesh, humble brag. Um, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't link up. So I think it's a different thing. And for me, having seen the Taylor Swift show... I'm quite excited to go to the cinema and like get some of the crumbs of that like leftover feeling of what I had at the concert. And also concert films are a completely different experience to going to a concert. And there's obviously so much yeah. more to it than just the songs. It's not just a linear sort of play out of the show. You get all that amazing behind the scenes context on everything. You get the most beautifully shot, you know, angles that no punter can ever experience. So you get the BTS parts one. where it's like some acted thing where they have one moment of panic where they're like, yeah, tell the cameraman he needs to be on spot X in five minutes or I'm leaving. Yeah. And they're wearing their big headsets with the giant microphone that seems obnoxiously large for their mouths. Absolutely. No need. Like AirPods would do the job. Completely. And we've come a long <laughs> way. Um, yeah, I, I, I really, my take on it is that it will absolutely be a, a different experience to the li- to the live show. But I do wonder whether some of the magic gets spoiled for people who haven't seen the show yet or, or had a chance to see it. Because, yeah, it's coming to Australia four months before um, Taylor actually will does you see in it? February next year. Will I see the, the movie? Yeah. Yeah, and the I don't have t- I don't have Eras Tour tickets yet, so okay, I'm saying yeah, so it's I'm a holding good, out hope that I might. It's a safety bet then. Yeah, and obviously we're re- with Renaissance for a lot of people, and you know we don't have dates for Australia yet for that, so I think that's going to kind I would of be this. Against, you won't. <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of fine with that in a way. I've kind of come to some sort of peace about that, so. Seeing this film, I have kind of come feel to like a... that I had every opportunity and I've missed it. So yeah, well, that's your own doing. But you've seen her. You saw we did see her at Coachella, and then you've seen her in New York, haven't you? Yeah, um, I have. I've seen her twice. Yeah. Um but like every Beyonce tour, I feel like is such a different experience, and this one in particular has been like quite um, revolutionary for her in a way. Mm. I think so. I would have liked to see it, but anyway, I'll move on. Anyway, get over it. We'll go to the movies. Go get your eleven dollar. <laughs> Popcorn and I'll go to the movies. And... I can chug down some root beer while stuffing popcorn in my face. Yeah. Doja Cat's album Scarlet is out. 
And even though the singles have been some of the biggest sellers of the year, the sales for the actual record are quite low, aren't they? Yeah, she's predicted to do like, or maybe she already has now, done about 70K in the US, um, which is about, on. uh, no, it's lower than the first week sales for Planet Her. What's not really Mm. computing in my head is when I thought of, when Drake was meant to drop his album for the dogs on the same day as Doja Cat, I was like, this is going to be a really fun competition because he's like one of the freshest big sellers in hip hop up against like a real kind of legend proven seller in hip hop. Yep. And these numbers suggest that she would have had absolutely zero chance of beating Drake. In fact, she didn't even get to number one in the U S. So I'm just like, what is going on where you can have the biggest record in the world with paint the town red. You've had several of the biggest records of the past few years. You're just like a magnetic personality that's drawing headlines, quite controversial, ticking all the boxes. So why are the numbers low for that album? It doesn't make any sense. The other comparison that doesn't make sense to me is planet her debuted with 110,000 units. So double almost the prediction of Scarlet. And I so, don't think Planet Her at that... I mean, it had had Kiss Me More, but I would say that was beneath or equal to what Paint the Town Red is doing right now. Well, that's what I'm thinking, and I also don't think she had permeated... <clears throat> excuse me. I also don't think she had permeated pop music and rap music as much as she has now at that point. You know, she was kind yeah. of... To to the the discerning fan, she was just, just had a couple of good pop songs on the radio, and I don't know whether her as an artist and as a character had cut through at that point now that it has cut through for her to be delivering half the sales of the last album doesn't compute for me either but maybe it is because we have gotten to know her personality and it's quite an abrasive personality for some and and a <laughs> divisive personality actually affecting her though because See, I, I think, think that 70k is the fans and then the rest of the numbers should be the casual listeners that yeah. maybe she's not attracting but maybe maybe it is another of those artists that just somehow there is a disconnect and and there is a a lack of maybe there's a lack of intrigue to go deeper on her from someone who's hearing paint the town red because i just feel like she is the one like in my opinion i really feel like it do you ever have conversations with people where they share their opinion on doja cat with you because the conversations i have are quite negative about her yeah, I don't really... She doesn't really come up in my conversations, funnily enough. Um, and and a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by a lot of pop fans, but those conversations will often surround the, you know, Harrys and Taylors of the world. And Doja doesn't seem yeah. to be in the same conversation in my circle at the moment. Uh, I personally wish she was. But yeah, what's the negativity you're hearing on the ground? I mean, about her kind of personality more than anything. Mm. That they find it quite ostracising. And I think at the same time, pop fans, who are obviously the ones who I'm having the conversation with, were really gravitating to moments like Kiss Me More and Say So. And Mm. this whole hard hip-hop lean is quite ostracising to them. But at the same time, she's really struggled to get her footing with hip hop fans, which is like a whole nother conversation yeah, that includes and misogyny just... and like blah, 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 blah. But like she's kind of blocked out half of two fan bases, if you get what I mean. I do. But I also don't agree that 
the hard hip hop lean has been as much of an, a, a sort of abrasive lean as and a, a, a divisive lean as we were expecting when she was verbalizing where the music was going to go. That's it's, what I think too, because Paint the Town Red and Agora Hills, like the two kind of big singles, are not that like so hip hop that it would be like, oh, you wouldn't get this if you're a pop fan. Paint the Town Red is arguably hookier than Kiss Me More. It's so hooky. I mean, the record definitely does have very hard-hitting rap moments in it with some quite obscure rap references. Mm. But there's at least five songs you could pick off that that could be on pop radio tomorrow. 100%. Keep it going. Um, All right. Well, we'll keep diving into that because I'm really intrigued why it's not cutting through as much. And I don't think Drake is the problem. I think Drake's the one that's blocking people from actually buying the record, you know? No, like, no. Well, Drake has moved his out. Like, he was meant to be that day. He moved it. And people were like, oh, maybe he, like, thought there was too much competition, <laughs> which clearly not. BB Rex would have had a shot. Is this how it feels? New Ed Sheeran album is out. It's called Autumn Variations. It's probably the most lackluster lead up to an album, but I think that's somewhat intentional. This is not intended to be one of those blockbuster records that he's done in the past. And it's yeah. sort of a little bit of a departure. Um, it's a collaboration with Aaron Dessner, who obviously pop fans will be aware of from his work with Taylor on Evermore and Folklore. Um, yeah. And what else has he done in the pop? sphere he's sort of been uh he's hovering. done gracie abrams record right. this year and he did king pen uh, king pinterest last year <laughs> <laughs> you already know there'll be some anr trying to make something called king princess get off the gr- king pinterest get off the ground um i am happy to be king pinterest <laughs> you can do that yeah you are a pinterest king you know? and aaron Dester can come produce it too loves you a may, mood may just need a, a bit of auto-tune yeah. Um, so the eight album's out. What do we want to say about it? Because <laughs> these, these songs are, when you listen to them, some of his catchiest and most brilliantly pop work. And I was really surprised by that. There's some really, really strong earworms on there. Um, the first yeah. song, American Town, is such a, a straightforward Ed Sheeran classic almost. But it feels yeah. like the production and the vibe of it is all a little bit um, too, almost too gentle for those hooks to cut through is, is the way I'm seeing it. Yeah, that's a comment that I, I read somebody say that on Reddit, I think. And it's the first time it really clicked for me because on some of the songs on Subtract, I actually thought that Aaron Dessner, Ed pairing works quite well. Yeah. Um, and I think he just added a little bit more flavor to some of the really acoustic guitar moments that have always been quite dry on other Ed albums. But yeah. on this one, it just doesn't work. And it's interesting because Aaron Destin found a way to take some of Taylor Swift's really poppy hooks and take them into this really interesting world that removed them totally from pop and gave them this new coat of paint. And it gave this whole, shed this whole new light on Taylor as a songwriter. Here, it feels like Ed is attempting to swim above this, like, kind of really muddy Aaron Dessner water that just sort of buries every hook that he has. And, and I totally agree with you that, like, American Town 
has a kind of Galway girl-esque vibe to it that's yeah. so hooky that just feels like it's totally lost in the production. Like, it should have, as much as, like, Galway Girl makes me want to vom a bit, it had this kind of, like, sort of lovable, I don't know, like, corniness to it. And Galway this just Girl feels like it's trying to be too cool. Galway Girl is objectively one of his best songs. Like absolutely not, in my opinion. No, it is. It is one of is easily one of his top five songs. You agree? You you love that song? I didn't love that song. You forced it down my throat alongside (laughs) silent producer Bianca and Elle. (laughs) I never admitted to loving that song. She. This feels like I've been gaslit. You loved it. I've got video evidence of you singing along to it without a doubt. Um, I'm sure you do. But everything. Everything you're saying is right, and I think Ed can take a sort of um, interesting pastiche and turn it into something quite authentically great, and I don't hear him doing it on this. I feel like it is muting a lot of the brilliance, but I would say that this is another showcase of how great a songwriter Ed Sheeran is and how he is just a absolute hook machine. As much machine. as other albums, though, because if anything, I think this really highlighted some of the, um, some of the clumsiness of his songwriting, particularly on the song about the person who nobody came to celebrate his birthday because it's in January, which is mm. <laughs> very relatable. But I don't know. Parts of it, I was just <laughs> like, "Oh, this is so bad." Whereas when it's like got that kind of Fred again production over it. I kind yeah. of am. I'm, I'm more prone to forgive some of the clumsiness in his songwriting, whereas here I, I was. It was really highlighted for me. I was just so well. I think, and also, I think we were also just so happy when he was in that sort of Steve Mack, um, Fred, the guy Love from it. Snow Patrol He's a world, pop songwriter. Yeah, that felt like good rooms for him. And it almost felt like when he was writing for, you know, because obviously Shape of You was originally intended as a Rihanna cut and a lot of tracks on that album um, were intended for other artists on Divide. And that kind of felt like when the writing style that I hear on a few of the tracks on this album was at its best in terms of the people he was surrounded by and the way that he was bringing it forward. But I also, I wonder whether, I I don't believe that was the intention of this record. I mean, this is the second Ed album in five months. We only got Subtract in May. And for him, that's an enormously um, big release rate because he is the artist that has released giant album, toured it, taken two years off and put his bone in the bin and then started yeah, from scratch and again and back. again. And this is obviously, you know, obviously Subtract was was also Aaron Desner and this almost feels like a B-sides to that. And I don't know whether it it's, was intended to be a hit machine, but everything Ed touches has a sort of... I don't think it was, no. But it all has still has an extra level of expectation, I think, when you are Ed Sheeran. You know, if you're going to put out an album of B-sides, it still has to be you know, remarkably cut through, I think. There still has to be a single, I think. Like, even... I think American Town's a good single. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think anything has... because Whether it's the production or the songwriting, I don't think anything has what it takes to cut through mm. on radio or on TikTok or whatever the measure is now. But I'm also interested by how willing he was to draw parallels to Folklore and Evermore. Obviously, both worked on with Aaron Desner, both released within five months of each other. 
um, the the press surrounding Evermore that was after we after we finished writing Folklore, we just couldn't stop writing, and so we kept writing exactly the same spiel that's been given for Autumn Variations. Mm. I'm just like I'm wondering if he's trying to have this kind of rebirth that Taylor Swift had, where those albums awarded her more freedom because it actually seems to ha- have had the opposite effect on him. <laughs> it's well, been I think you're right. And there's almost this intentional subtlety that he's doing with this record that maybe feels too manufactured in his circumstance to cut through yeah. because everything in the Taylor sense, because it was the first time a major pop star had done something like that yeah. and the, you know had sort of reinvented the surprise drop and everything felt so authentic the way it was being shared with the fans. This almost feels almost too intentional, but reminiscent yeah. of that and... Yeah, he probably should have announced that. it Thursday night. Yeah, and then just dropped and then it just Friday. There, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, I was seeing all the usual pre-save the album now. Da, da, da. Like, I don't know whether it cuts through for a subtle, quiet album. No, that that gives like major album rollout vibes. Mm. Well, anyway, good luck to him. He'll be right. He's still, what, playing stadiums everywhere, like, with his bloody loop pedal, so he'll be fine. He'll be okay. He'll be okay. Ah, uh, we got a new Pink Panther S track called Mosquito. This is fun. This is great. I love this pocket of Pink Panther S. What do you think? Yeah, it's really good. Like, this is Greg Kirsten on this with Pink Fry. Panther S, both of them on yeah, production. And what I love about it is it does feel like classic Pink Panther S, but it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit cleaner. And it just feels like her sitting and having her moment, knowing that she's really started to influence mainstream pop with her sound. So she's leveled up. She's stepped up. She's brought a level of clean to it where I'm like now believing that she can be a main pop girl. Yeah. She's crossing over but not leaving any of that thing that made her unique behind. And I really admire yeah. that. Um, and I just love I love all the little intricacies of Pink Panther S songs. And I think this is why I was so attracted to Angel as well, was just these little yeah. subtle, you know, orchestral stabs and weird production choices, but they they're all really cutesy and add to the sort of pop value of it all. And yeah, I'm really, really excited by where this is going. Um, and Greg Kirsten's a very inspired choice. And, you know, he, if you look deep into his discography, yeah, he's got all the, you know, the Seer and Adele work on there, but there's actually some really interesting, uh, much smaller acts that he's worked with over the journey and produced really special pop songs with them that have a complete uniqueness in the, in the landscape. And I think he's yeah. going to keep doing that. Also, do Silent you feel like Assassin. nobody is like really writing love songs like this anymore? Like... No. It's got such Everyone's... an upbeat airiness to it and such a frankness to the way she declares her love in these songs. It's just something yeah. that feels very like, I don't know, I keep going back to the cause as like my reference point for what she's doing yeah. right now, even though sonically it's not incredibly the same. Well, it's it's um, Loveful Cardigans. Was Cardigans that did Loveful? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Say that, you, that vibe. Very like, that, yeah. It's it's records like that that it's going back to, and that's not even a bit into. of bewitched as well. Yeah, and what you're talking about in terms of the the lyrical content and delivery style, we almost had an overcorrection for a little while of female pop stars doing a, a really strong reclamation of their independence and singledom, 
And mm-hmm. that was absolutely needed and has been a really important part of changing the conversation of what a female pop star is expected to talk about on records. But I do think we've kind of gotten to a, a, a critical mass point where we're missing yeah. some of these really vulnerable love songs because there is power in being in love and there is power in um, sort of uh, surrendering to love and surrendering to, you know, another yeah. person. And I kind of really just admire being a bit cheesy. Yeah, like that's, I think there is potentially an era coming upon us of, of real, you know, audacious cheesiness and really, you know, assertive declarations of love and even, yeah. you know, e- even lust, even even assertive declarations of lust. Like if we're talking about the Choice of Un record, you know, there's a lot of that mm. on there and maybe we're heading back towards that um, that fine and fun line of you can talk about being in love in the same way that you can talk about your independence and power in being single. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like the the wave of, like, escapist pop that happened during the pandemic was very, like, disco, Donna Summer, like, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive land, which is they're yeah. all about independence and, like, don't start now. Dua Lipa being kind of, like, the antithesis of that, not the antithesis, the, like, the example of that. Um and now we're in this this time where it seems to be like it's okay. Everyone wants like connection, love again, and that seems to be the new wave of escapist pop coming through. Bring it, bring it on. Love um, it. Speaking in a way of that kind of you know escapism, um, the new George Smith album is out, and there's a lot of that feeling on it. There's a real tenderness to it. It's a real, yeah authenticity um yeah i really really love what this album does she's like such uh just like patient and like old school songwriter like she really just sits in everything she does none of the songs feel like they're in a hurry to do anything or to deliver the hook like soon enough she just kind of simmers through the whole thing um and i'm just i'm just obsessed with her voice like She's one of the rare songwriters where I can put on the song and I'm not even just like waiting for the hook to happen or the chorus to come. Like I'm just happy to listen to her do whatever she wants to do. Like no matter whether yeah. that's something really melodic or just some, I don't know. I'd, I'd listen to her just sing the same note for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> she is one of a kind, I think. And I, I said this when I heard the kind of first few singles, but she really feels like she's summing up a lot of what's going on in British music as a whole at the moment. And mm. just that real Very soulful wave. Yeah. There's soul, f- but there is soul in it, but then there's also these kind of garagey things. And then there's almost these indie rock moments on there. Um, yeah. like go, go, go that we talked about. And I really love the, the summation of the, the sounds of, of London and the UK at large that I feel like she's able to bring together on this record. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be one of my favourite albums of the year, I think. There's just so much to dive into. There's so much, con- like, so much, there's a dense amount of material on there, but it never comes across as too much. It's, yeah. it's a really easy listen at the same time. I still think we're, like, one step away from, like, the perfect Georgia Smith album of her having, mm. like, a magnum opus. It feels like this album is trying out a few things and doing all of them quite well, but once she really zones in on that one thing... It's over. It's over for all of you. Over for everyone. You UK music, dead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, we've got a brand new Drake album coming on Friday. We kind of talked about it a second ago with the Doja Cat stuff. But yeah, we've got the, the Drake record coming. Are we excited about this? I yeah, I think we already talked new. about it when it was coming and then it got delayed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then we got Slime You Out with Scissor which was one of those records that goes number one and then drops 20 places every week until it's out of the top 100. I'm warming to that, by the way. I think I was a little bit disparaging of it when I first heard it, but I'm um, I'm warming to that song. Yeah, I liked it, but I also haven't found myself really going back to it that much, which I feel like is every Drake single that he's been releasing recently. Like He just doesn't really have much staying power, but he does have the ability to create an event and get people really excited in week one. So this will be interesting. Like, I think it's going to be very much in that R&B lane that he gave with Slime You Out. I think that we're going to see more, like, vocalist features, more than we're going to see, like, rap features, which I think is going to be interesting and, and cool to hear. So, yeah, which actually just made me think, you know, like, get, get yourself together so we can be together with Georgia yeah. Smith. Mm. That was meant to be Jennifer Lopez on that song. Remember when they were like briefly dating? Yeah, that whole moment. That's when it all went weird. Very weird, <laughs> which I think was like pre like her even being with A-Rod. Like, yeah. that seems like so long ago. Anyway, put J-Lo on the album. That'd be a bit of fun. <laughs> I'm excited about no, that No, put idea. Ashanti on the album, but then kick her off at the last minute and get J-Lo <laughs> to sing her hook. It's time. <laughs> That's the kind of dirt I want on this Drake yes. album. <laughs> There's always a story I love. Um, and finally, NSYNC are back with a song for the Trolls 3 soundtrack. I'm gonna make you kiss the sky tonight. Yeah, it's called Better Place. And it's one of the great songs. What do you think? One of the great songs. He has been regurgitating the same song since the first Trolls soundtrack. You know what I was reminded of the other day when I heard this? Because I was like, I feel like he's done a song very similar to this. So I went back to the last Trolls soundtrack and he did that song with Scissor. With Scissor that Sarah Aaron's wrote. Yeah. Yeah, which is basically this song again and everybody forgot about it. I liked that song. I didn't mind that song and I don't mind this song, but it's literally just the same thing over and over again. It's that sort of um, slightly jazzy pop chords and... Yeah, just like inoffensive funk music, you know? Yeah. The Bruno Marsification of pop. Oh my God, it is. And I kind of don't mind it. It's definitely an earworm. Um, Do you think it warranted the NSYNC reunion? Absolutely not. Not in no. any way, shape, or form, um, and but a it good remains to be... press move for Justin well, Timberlake. Absolutely, and I think a necessary press move for Justin Timberlake at this point. It, it yeah. feels like the only you know keep going up, which is is defying all my expectations in terms of how much I'm enjoying it um, with Timberland and Nelly Furtado. I think him kind of playing into the nostalgia factor rather than trying to reinvent and reinvent and then reinvent again, which he kind of was going down the track of for a while. And we ended up with man of the woods. Um, I I really don't mind the idea of him diving into nostalgia for a little while because there was so much strength to both the NSYNC work and to the, the 2006, seven hip hop work. Um, 
him going back into both of those pockets at once and doing it in what feels like a very authentic way. And I think there's a reason both those records are out at the same time because he was probably searching for a time and place in his career rather than for a sound to regurgitate. I think he was going back to yeah. when he felt at his best. And you hear, you kind of hear... And when the public about- liked him the most. Yeah, exactly. There's a bit of that the yeah. PR side of it as well. Um, but I'm definitely not anti him diving. Uh, for, for some people, I think it's to, it's, I, I would see it as a cynical cash grab. But for yeah. him, there's enough value in what he was doing at that time. And there's still evidently enough value in those relationships to be able to mine those relationships yeah. for a little bit more gold. And I think it's, I think there is some really strong stuff coming out of it. So. God, nostalgia is such a heavy marketing it's boy a, right now. It's one of the great drugs as well. Because look it's at me crazy. turning my opinion immediately just by him putting out two relatively good songs. I know, like <laughs> I, I even I find myself softening on him when I'm not thinking about him too much, and then I remember, yeah. then I'm reminded. He's very like I hate to say it, but no, I don't hate to say it. I need to stop being like that. I need to stop being so, you know, um, anti my own views. It, I <laughs> I like. I like Justin Timberlake and I want good shit from Justin Timberlake. And I think he has managed to reinvent himself many times in a really strong way. I mean, the, yeah. um, what was the album with the, with suit and tie? The era where it was 2020 experience. 2020 experience. I quite like that. Yeah. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, I don't really think he's done anything that warrants him being around since future sex love sounds. Really? Like, if somebody told me I had to do without suit and tie and mirrors, I'd be like, sure, take them. Mirrors is canon. No, mirrors is so boring. No, I think mirrors is necessary in the discography. You couldn't do without mirrors. You could do without suit and tie. I mean, if he was going to do Super Bowl, heaven forbid he gets that chance again. Yes, mirrors would be involved. But for me, it's, it's mid. On that note, thanks for jumping on the pop-in. Um, let us know what you think of Justin Timberlake as a whole specimen um, in the replies <laughs> section on Spotify. You can leave us a note there. You can send Bob us messages on Instagram. Justin Timberlake as a human being. <laughs> that's, the, that's what I'm going to put in the note. <laughs> oh, my God. And we'll be back with another Flop Stars later on this week. Thank you so much for listening. There's more people listening than ever before at the moment. We looked at the stats and there's people listening, which is very, very nice. So thank you very much. It Let's is nice. Exact statistics. It's so we can inflate them. And our brothers <laughs> now. On Lou. Oh, happy 60th birthday to my mum who has never listened to an episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My mum tells me that she watches the podcast, which is enough for me to know that she she doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) See you next week. Bye. I don't know. See you whenever. Whenever. It's on demand. (laughs)